When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come Longing just to bring something that's of worth that'll bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song song in itself it's not what you have required you search much deeper within the way things appear you're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. King of endless work, no one could express how much you deserve. Though I'm weak and I'm poor, all I have is yours, every single breath. I'll bring you more than a song song in itself it's not what you have required you search much deeper within than the way things appear you're looking into my heart i'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus.
Amen. How many is thankful for that? Amen. Praise God tonight. And this has been one of those weeks that as a preacher, I feel like I'm chasing my tail. I feel like I'm running in a circle. I, I, I don't know if I'm getting much accomplished, but I'm moving. Got all this to do, paint here, get this finished over here, make sure we got enough for this. So I, I, I was thinking to myself, man, we're, we're, we're really busy, but am I really getting anywhere? So what text do I use tonight? What can I preach about that will inspire everyone that comes this Wednesday night to welcome our guest with open arms this week? Somebody hear me tonight? To welcome our guest with open arms. I, I, I'm really worried about a few of you. I'm not joking. I need you to have the right attitude come Saturday if you're going to serve with me. Touch three people and say, have the right attitude. Y'all don't think that's important? How we treat these people when they come will be how they react to God, not us. Not us. How they react to this church, not us. How they react to the Holy Spirit that dwells in this place, not us. So I was asking myself, this has been one of those weeks that I feel like I'm chasing my tail. What do I preach? What can I preach about that will inspire everyone to welcome and love our guests this week as they come to our fall festival? What answers can, can, can we give them if they start to have questions? What if they start to have questions? What if the presence of God is really on you strong? Come on, somebody. And that's what we want. I hope it's on me strong. I got a great costume picked out. I hope the presence of God is so strong, the anointing is so strong on me and you that they have questions. They have questions. There's nothing wrong with people that ask questions. Can I hear you? Amen. There's nothing wrong with people that ask questions. God expects us to ask questions. How can you know anything if you don't ask a question? So I began to ask God. I said, what message? What would you want me to say? And he kept taking me back to the Old Testament. And he kept taking me back to the Old Testament. And he said, I want you tonight to tell them that they need to be telling these people that are coming to our fall festival that time is coming to an end soon. And that these people need to get ready. These people need to get ready. Somebody say amen. If you're riding the fence, if you're not quite sure if you're saved or not, you need to be getting yourself in a position where you're trusting God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. I don't understand. Can I say this? And I, and I don't mean this in an ugly way, so don't leave out of here and say, well, he don't understand, and that makes it wrong. No, I don't understand. Because for so many years, I lived without faith. I lived without grace. I lived without mercy. I, I did. I know I had all that stuff, except for the faith part, except for the grace, except for the mercy. I, I, I thought I had I, I thought I had things figured out, but I really didn't have anything figured out. I was doing it, not God. I thought. But the whole time I had the mercy and I had the grace. I had to receive it by faith. I want you to understand that tonight. And my message tonight takes us to the story of Noah and the ark. And I want you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6, verse 11. And I want to just share with you real quick. 
And I got a little video I want you to watch. Lord, thank you for taking me to the Old Testament tonight. Noah chapter 6, verse 11. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. Can I ask anybody, is that the world we live in today? It's written right here in the beginning in Genesis, the first book in the Bible. And the Lord got tired of it, so he called upon a man named Noah to do something about it. Let me read that again. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I've decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out amongst the earth. And he tells Noah, build a large boat with cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct the decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat. Put the door on the side and build three decks inside the lower, middle, and upper. Look, I am about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die, but I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter into the boat with your wife and your sons and their wives. Somebody give me an amen. God says, I'm going to keep my promise. I'm going to flood this earth. I'm going to destroy everything. I'm tired of the violence. I'm tired of the crime. I'm tired of the corruption. He's on the job tonight. Who believes that tonight? He's looking down on earth tonight. The Lord is paying attention to what's happening right now. Can you imagine he's a little sick to his stomach? I wish somebody would give me an amen. He's a little sick to his stomach. He's looking down and he's seeing all this violence, all this corruption, all this homosexual living. He's looking down earth seeing all these people just aborting babies left and right and people just uh, uh, blaspheming his name and, and, and you can't have God in school and you can't have God in the courthouse and you can't even get God sometimes in the house anymore. He's looking down, and he is disgusted. Here, and he tells Noah, I want you to build a boat. I want you to build an ark. I want you to make it 450 feet long. I want you to put three decks in that thing. I want you to put a door on the side. I love that story. I, I, I preach that story several times. And, and, and my pastor came, my pastor came to Caney Creek Cowboy Church, and he preached this message one night. And, and, I, and I read it with him, and, and, and he talked about Noah getting his sons and his wives in the boat and talked about getting all the animals. And then it said, the Lord shut the door. And my pastor, he's about 300 pounds. And he said, and the Lord shut the door. And he slapped his hands together, and every hair stood up on the back of my neck sitting on that front row because Noah didn't shut the door. God shut the door. God's coming back soon, brothers and sisters. He's sending his son Jesus to come back soon. I'm ready for that day, amen. I think you and I need to stay ready to keep from getting ready. 
So I studied this today, this passage, and I thought about something that might help you, Danny, and help you, Allie, and help the rest of us tonight to, to think. Just want, Let me give you something to think about. What about Noah's friends? What about Noah's friends and family? Noah had friends, and Noah had family. Noah had friends and family, but they would not believe this preacher when he told them the world was coming to an end, to turn from their evil ways. I love my interpretation of it, the cowboy interpretation. I believe Noah rode by every day on his horse and screamed and hollered, Get saved, this world's about to end. Get saved, this world's about to end. Get saved, all his friends, they laughed at him, they mocked him. Well, what's going to happen, Noah? There's going to be a big flood and every living creature is going to die. Noah, no, it's not. You're crazy. Noah, you're crazy. Can you imagine his friends and family when he, the lumber showed up? I started thinking about this today, and I don't want to lose you, so I want you to pay attention. Listen, I studied this passage, and I thought about Noah's friends and his neighbors. The Bible does not tell us a lot about his friends and neighbors, but I wondered what they were doing while Noah was building on the ark. I bet you some of them were fixing their trucks. Put smokestacks on them, and rims and tires. If they had trucks. Bible don't say if they had trucks or not. I'm just saying. Some of them might have been checking their 401k. Some of them might have been out there on the job working very hard. Now get I'm trying to get you to relate with these people out here in this community. This is 2014. These people are doing anything but go to church. Anything but serve God. Anything but surrender their heart, their mind, their soul. Getting their kids, their wives, their daughters saved. So the Bible does not tell us a lot about friends and neighbors. But I wonder what they were doing. Were they fixing their trucks? Checking their Harleys? Wiping them down? Getting ready to go ride? Were they smoking some weed? Were they doing some Budweiser? Whatever they doing, they weren't getting saved. They weren't listening. I've been here for eight years. I've been doing fall festivals ever since I've been here. And I've had people show up every year. And I don't see them again. I don't see them again. I, I stand up on a little trailer out here, a little flatbed trailer, and I scream as loud as I can that Jesus is the way. I try to tell them where I come from. I talk a lot about y'all. I do my very best to try to say, hey, believe in the cross. Believe in this man Jesus who died on the cross for my sins and your sins. I was thinking about that today, Miss Mary. While you was asking me what I was thinking about my office, why I was thinking about Noah's friends and his family. And tonight I'm thinking about your friends and your family. Where are they going to spend eternity? Have you told them? Have you witnessed to them? Joseph was telling me that he goes on Facebook and he witnesses to his friends, his atheist friends. He gets into a debate with these guys over and over again. He keeps trying to tell them, man, Jesus is the way. And, and, and the other night he was witnessing to one and Joseph was tired and he fell asleep and the guy was about right there and Joseph woke up the next morning and was mad at himself that he didn't stay awake just a little bit longer because that might have been that little bit of time that saved his friend. Because if his friend don't get saved, he's going to die and go to hell. If you don't get saved, you will die and you will go to hell. 
Simple as that. English, easy to understand but hard to swallow. You say, well, I got drug up here, Pastor. I got drug up here. I didn't want to come tonight. Well, I'm so glad you're here because I want you to hear this. If you don't believe in Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and you don't invite him to your heart, you're going to die and you're going to go to hell. I'm saying that with love. I'm saying that with love because I love you and I'm not scared to tell you. Jesus loved you. He wasn't scared to die for you. We need to tell these people that Jesus loved him. He could have avoided the cross. He could have said, nah, I don't want to do that. Three or four times he said, take this cup from me. But he went willingly for my sins and for your sins. I wonder what Noah's friends were doing. Were they smoking weed, doing a little meth? I don't know what they were doing, but I can tell you what they weren't doing. They weren't getting their life right. I can tell you what they were doing. You need to listen. They were getting themselves ready to die. They were getting themselves. Grasp that for a minute. Grasp that in your mind for a minute. Take yourself back to Genesis. Look at me. Take yourself back to Genesis. Take yourself back to that period. See that boat being constructed. See those animals standing around in the pasture coming from near and far. We've all seen the little movie. I like how they portray it in that movie. But see them coming from near and far. And all those people getting ready to die. None of them. None of them. None of them. But Noah and his family got out alive. That ought to tell you and I something that God don't play. Huh? Hear me tonight. God don't play. <laughs> God don't play. God don't play. Someone told me the other day, he said, Brother Mark, I, 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 I knew right then if I didn't quit drinking, I was going to die. I knew when them doctors came in, they told me that if I didn't quit drinking, I was going to die. He said, it scared me so much. He said, I know I'll never take another drink as long as I live. And now I have a personal relationship with God. It makes it so much more worth it. In the end, I know when I do leave this earth, I have eternal home to go to. You know, whatever it takes. I was thinking about it. This world we live in is going to go straight to hell just as in Noah's day. What were they thinking? What did they talk about at the dinner table every night when they saw in the shadows of their homes? How many live in the neighborhood? Raise your hand. Can you imagine in your neighborhood if somebody starts cranking out a 450-foot yacht? Can I get you to grasp this for you nine-to-fivers? The clock didn't stop for Noah. He had a job to do. He was on the job late at night. His sons were out there. They were working on the boat late at night. And I was thinking about this because I don't know. Sometimes my mind just be wondering. What were his neighbors thinking about at the dinner table every night when they saw in the shadows of their home crazy Noah? There's crazy Noah's kids out there hammering, sawing, building away. There's old crazy Caney Creek Cowboy Church buying all them hot dogs. Buying all them drinks, buying all them chips, hanging up them signs without permission. <laughs> if I go to jail, somebody bail me out. <laughs> what are they thinking? What are they thinking? 
What are they thinking? The, what were they thinking when they heard the hammering, when they heard the sawing, when they seen the work go up? The story even gets a little stranger in the seventh chapter. You can read it of Genesis when God tells Noah, now go into the ark and shut the door. Go into the ark. Door's fixing to be shut. Can you imagine? I was thinking about that. How many people live in this community that think they got plenty of time? Some of you here tonight think you got plenty of time. The Bible says none of us are promised tomorrow. Not me and not you. I think about those friends, those neighbors, when, when, when God shut the door, how they must have felt. They were probably laughing, Mary, and mocking Noah, just like they laugh and mock us here at this church. They're crazy old fools over there at Caney Creek Cowboy Church. Weather comes in cycles, they must have been saying. Everybody knows it rains for a week or two, then it stops. We'll be okay. Why can't Noah's kids be like all those other kids in the neighborhood? Why do you think I call my teenagers weird teens? Because I don't want them to be like everybody else in the neighborhood. We'll be okay. And then the flood comes, and only those in the ark survived. My brothers and sisters, they didn't even know what hit them. Brother Vic, they didn't even know what hit them. They were so blinded by their own faith, by their own ways. They were so busy working on their trucks and washing their Harleys, making money and putting it up in their retirement plan. They didn't even know what hit them. The Bible says that the Lord's coming back in the twinkling of an eye. Everybody close your eyes and open them back up real fast. Open, close your eyes and open them up real fast. I want to see. Do a bug-eyed thing. That's pretty fast. Do it again. Lord says, I'm coming back in the twinkling of an eye. As you open your eyes and you shut your eyes, the Lord will be right here with us. Quick! It'll be, you won't know. It'll be, bam! It'll be right. Lord, you're here. Hallelujah. That's amazing. These people didn't even know what to hit The rain started coming. They thought, well, it's rising a little bit. Maybe we better get some sandbags out. Oh, we'll be okay. Well, maybe we ought to move up to the second story of our home. We'll be okay. Well, the rain keeps rising. I don't know if y'all saw when that hurricane hit New Orleans. The rain just kept coming, and the rain kept coming, and the floodwaters kept coming, and the levee kept rising and rising and rising. And no matter, even so, some of those people got to the roof, they still drowned. They still died. Why can't Noah's kids be like the rest of the neighborhood? And then the flood came, and the only ones that survived this story were the ones that were in the ark. My brothers and sisters, they didn't even know what hit them. We got to tell these people this weekend that Jesus is the only way. Come on, somebody. We got to tell them that Jesus is the only way. I don't have enough energy to tell 6,000 people that Jesus is the way. I'm going to need your help. So if you and I can get in the mindset this week and be inspired tonight, be inspired tonight to be ready to witness to whoever wants to know that Jesus is the only way. Don't let God dis be disappointed in you because you kept your mouth shut this week. 
especially if it's your family or friends or somebody you invited, a co-worker. And you bring them in here and you show them our beautiful church and, and you say, man, this is beautiful. And you say, yeah, I want you to come. Well, I'm not quite sure about that. I, I got a couple, listen to me. We got to tell them that Jesus is the way. We got to witness them. Uh, can I say this? We got to get in their face. We can't tiptoe. We're in the last days. We can't tiptoe around this. We can't tiptoe, Tommy. We can't be tiptoeing thinking we're going to hurt somebody's feelings. We might even have to spit on them. Y'all say spit on them. Get in their face. I talked to a pastor friend of mine on Monday. And I said, hey, brother, what are y'all going to do for your fall festival? He said, oh, we don't do a fall festival. We don't do a fall festival at my church. We tried those in the past, but we didn't really get anybody to come. All that effort, all that time, all that money, we just give to missions and we do different things. We don't really do a fall festival. And brothers and sisters, I took that personal. If the devil's going to use that as a holiday, Christian people ought to wake up and get ready to fight back. I said, y'all don't do a fall festival? He said, no. I said, I want to invite you to mine. He said, I'll try to stop by. We'll stop by because I hope my fall festival inspires you to do a fall festival. And I said, let me say this to you. I, I hadn't seen many people come through Caney Creek Cowboy Church's back doors from our fall festival, but this might be the year that one person gets saved, and it'll be worth all the effort. One mama gets saved. One daddy gets saved. One person stops drinking. One person stops drugging. One person changes their heart and quits committing adultery week after week after week after week. One person gets saved. It'll be worth every bit of the effort that we put in this fall festival at this church. You know, God commands us as Christians to be witnesses. Matthew 28, you can look that up on your own time. But God commands us. There are many ways that we can witness, but I want to give you two, and I want to show you a video, and I want to be done. There are many ways to witness for Jesus, but here are two of them that I think that are the most important. Say most important. So if you're taking notes, and you say, Pastor, I'm helping you, and, and, and you drag them up to me. You find me in my costume. And you say, Pastor, this guy made a decision to follow Christ. Can you pray with him? And I'll pray with him, and I'll encourage him to get baptized. I'll ask him to join the church. I'll take him down there to the Jordan in the dark and baptize him if he wants to get baptized. Who will go down there with me and watch him get baptized? So here's two ways. Listen to me. We witness for Jesus by telling others how Jesus paid for our sins. How we were once sinners who were saved by an amazing grace. With his blood, he rose from the dead so that we could be saved. This involves opening up our mouth. Hey, this involves every one of us opening up our mouth and saying things. That's one way. Say, hey, man, you know what? I used to play softball, baseball, rodeo, spent all my weekends at the, at the, at the lake. Someone told me about this Jesus. I didn't want to hear it. Finally, I went to church, man, and got saved. But what does saved mean? It means believing in Jesus with all my heart. Believing that Jesus was real. It's just English, talking. 
talking, speaking it. Romans wrote that all have fallen short of the glory of God. That means you. There's no perfect people here, women, men, that all have fallen short of the glory of God. I'm going to show you a video, and it's going to cripple your way of thinking in just a minute. Because we think, well, we didn't commit a murder. We didn't commit, uh, we, we, didn't, we, didn't, we didn't do this and we didn't do that. Listen, there's ten commands. And if you broke any of them, you're going to die and you're going to go to hell. There's ten commands. Say ten commandments. There's ten commandments. And if you've broken any of those commandments and you have not completely repented in your heart and asked God to forgive you, then you're going to die and go to hell. We got to tell these people, hey, have you ever stolen a little piece of gum? <laughs> yeah, when I was a kid, I stole a piece of gum. What does that make you? Uh, makes me a thief. Well, you know, there's no thieves going to be able to go to heaven. Have you ever told a lie? No, I'm not a liar. You never even told one little white lie to your teacher? Well, there was that time I skipped school and went with the guys. So what are you? Oh, I'm a liar. There's no be no liars in heaven. Man, there's effective ways to witness, and it starts with opening up your mouth. Come on, somebody. And the second thing, listen to me. We witness for Jesus by living an authentic Christian life based on what the Bible says. Both the ways of witnessing are just as important. Brother Vic, I give him a hard time. I said, boy, you're preaching this Sunday. Oh, God, he called me to preach. Come on, Vic, you ready? God ain't called you. God don't have to call Vic because he's a living witness. God don't have to call some of you to preach because you're living witnesses. I might pick on you about preaching or helping me or teaching. When God has, has ordained and planned, nothing can stop you. I, I said that. You don't need a title. You just need to be an authentic Christian person. You need to live it by faith. When I began to get to know Brother Vic in, in, in an intimate way as, as brothers in Christ, and I began to watch him, and I began to uh, follow his lead in some different directions, and he began to follow my lead in some different directions, we had a mutual friend whose air conditioner went out. And, and Brother Vic, you know, works very hard all day. And when he got off, he said, well, I'd hate to see for that man's family to go without AC. Vic went over there time after time after time, trying to work on this man's AC and, and to try to get it right. And every night the man would come home, he'd get in his recliner, wouldn't say anything, wouldn't really fellowship, wouldn't, wouldn't really say nothing. Finally, Vic got it going, took a little time, got it going. He never got a thank you. Brother Vic said, I didn't do it for the thank you. I did it because God told me to go over there and try to fix his air condition. I said, I don't think I'd be that good a Christian. But I began to watch Brother Vic, and I began to understand that God leads him. God's leading some of you. You're authentic Christian people. You're trying your very best. You fall short. You get back up. You ask God to forgive you. You stay focused. You come to church every time the doors are open. You're a core group member in this church. Who's glad that they're a core group member in this church? Come on, somebody. You ought to be proud of that fact that you're a core group member in this church. So there's two ways. Number one, by telling them. Number two, by showing them. Number one, by telling them. Number two, by showing them. If we talk to others about Jesus Christ, 
if we say that we're Christians, then our lifestyle should back that up. Come on, somebody. I'm done. Listen, don't fall asleep on me just yet. If we say that we are, we ought to live it. If we say that we believe, we ought to prove it. If we're sick, we need to be healed, we need to pray. If we need to be delivered from any kind of substance, and when we get delivered, we need to tell the whole world it was Jesus. One thing, there's nothing worse than a witness for God who's not serving God in every area of their life. If we're going to do this thing, I want to do it together. If we talk to others about Jesus Christ, but our lives contradict our words, people won't believe us. If we talk to people about Jesus Christ, but our lifestyle says something different, if our attitude says something different, if what we post out there says something different, then people will not believe that we are Christians. In Noah's day, he tried to show them. He stayed the course. He told them. He showed them and he told them. He showed them and he told them. He showed them and he told them. And then God shut the door because nobody was listening. But what I love the most about that story is that his family got out alive. I got a wife and two boys. I know where they're going. They're going to get out of this thing alive. I got a church family with a bunch of amazing people in it. I know where they're going. The Bible says, by your fruits, I'll know you. I know where you're going. I'm going to get out of this thing alive. Somebody shout amen. amen. Come on, somebody shout amen. amen. If we live an authentic Christian life but never tell others about Jesus, how will people know that Jesus can save them too? People use all kinds of excuses for not sharing their faith in Jesus. Fear of what other people will think or fear of what the questions might be asked. Brothers and sisters, you don't have to have all the answers. God has all the answers. You don't have to know all the scriptures. God will put one on your heart. One that means something to you. God will tell you what to say and how to say it. And he'll keep leading you and keep leading you and keep leading you until finally that person that you're witnessing comes to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. I didn't even know how to baptize people when I became a preacher. I remember Brother Lyle, I, I'd been preaching two or three months here at the church. I said, Brother Lyle, how am I doing? He said, oh, you keep those baptism waters stirred. And we're going to be just fine. I went home and said, oh my goodness. I don't know what that meant. Because we hadn't baptized nobody. If I don't hurry up and get somebody baptized, I might get fired. They might call another pastor. They might send me down the road. So I went home that day and I Googled baptism. And I looked it up on YouTube and I bet I watched 50 different baptisms. And I was so ready for a baptism. I was so ready. I was so on fire. I'd watched enough videos to, to, to know what to do. But when I got the opportunity to baptize Brother Garrett and his family, I forgot what to say. And the water trough was right here. And 
people was right there, and I was standing here, and I was so ready, so sure. And when they come down, I started talking, and when they stepped into that water, I was like, what do I say? What do I say? I looked back up. I looked back down and said, Lord, what do I say? And he said, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Ghost. And I dropped them in that water. And I rose them up again. And then I heard. Now, I'd been, I'd been baptized two years prior to this. I'd heard what my pastor had said that day. Out with the old and up with the new. God just equipped me. God just put that little bug in my ear. I was like, and then I was standing there. I was all proud of myself. I baptized the whole family. My chest was sticking out. I was like, yeah, I did it. And then he said, to say what else my pastor had said. And I was like, what else did he say, God? And he said, tell him there's plenty of room for more. I've been saying that for eight years. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Out with the old and up with the new. And as the Master's commanded, there's plenty of room for more. Brothers and sisters, let us get somebody this fall I pray God uses you. There's no feeling greater. There's no high better than leading somebody to the Lord. Come on, somebody. I want y'all to watch this video, and at the end of this video, we'll pray. Shut those lights off, brother. Side lights down a little bit. Turn it up, Cooper. Hey, can you name any of them? Um, yes. Thou oh. shalt not murder. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not... Oh, hold on. I, I know. Yeah. You know a few. Yeah, I know. Now, do you think you've kept those Ten Commandments? Um, yes. Have you ever told a lie? Well, at some times, you know, most every human does. So you broke that one? Yes. So what are you called if you tell a lie? A liar. Have you ever stolen? No, sir, I haven't. Even something really small. Be honest before God. Well, I guess a little stuff. Like, okay. maybe like a piece of gum or something. Oh, just a piece of gum. So what does that make you? Like, well, a stealer, I guess. Thief. See, the value of the thing you steal doesn't make any difference. If I open your wallet and just take out $1, it's as bad as taking out $100. I'm a thief. Now, Jesus said if, you, if we look at a woman and lust after her, we commit adultery with her in her heart. Have you ever done that? I'm um, no, sorry. You've sorry never looked at a woman with lust? Um, well. Your friend over there is laughing at you. He doesn't think you're speaking the truth. Well, I mean, yes, I have looked at a woman, you know. So you've told another lie. Right? Yes. So you've really blown it, haven't you? So you've broken three commandments. We've only looked at three. We haven't looked at the other seven. Have you ever used God's name in vain? Yes, sir. So instead of using a four-letter filth word to express disgust, you've taken the name of the God who gave you life and used his name as a curse word, which is called blasphemy. So on Judgment Day, when God judges you by that standard, are you going to be innocent or guilty of breaking his commandments? I'll be guilty of that one. Yeah. you think you'll go to heaven or hell? Um... Well, I think 
think I'd probably go to heaven in the sense that that's that's one thing that from now on I'll try to improve myself and that God might forgive me for all my for the sins that I've broken from that. So do you think God should let murderers and liars and thieves and adulterers into heaven? I guess not. So you're in big trouble. Really you're heading for hell, aren't you? Yeah. Does that concern you? Yes. Yes it does. There's nothing more valuable than your life, is there? Would you sell one of your eyes for a million dollars? No, sir. Your eyes are precious to you, aren't they? And they're the windows of your soul. Your soul or your life looks out those, those eyes. And Jesus said, you're to despise the value of your eye compared to the value of your soul. He said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it's better to enter heaven without an eye than go to hell with both your eyes. And do you know why Jesus died on the cross? Why he did? For, uh, for sinning. Sinning? Well, he died for our sins, for the sins of the world. Of everybody around the world, like you know, sacrificing himself for everyone else. Now, do you know how to uh, partake in that gift of salvation? Do you know what you should do? No. Well, if you were on a plane and you knew you had to jump and there was a parachute under the seat, what would you do? I would take the parachute. Put it on. You wouldn't just believe in it, would you? You'd put it on. Yes exactly what you have to do with Jesus. The Bible says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to repent, that is, turn from your sins once and for all, and put your faith in Jesus the same way you put your trust in a parachute. The moment you do that, the Bible says you'll pass from death to life. You'll come out of darkness into light, and you'll receive God's gift of everlasting life. That is the world we live in, brothers and sisters. Everybody thinks they're okay. But the Bible says that few will enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's those few who, like he said, take the parachute and put it on. Take Jesus Christ and allow him to dwell in your heart for all of your life. So I want to ask you tonight to stand with me. Stand with me tonight. Let me pray with you. Father God, I just pray if there's anyone here tonight that has never asked you to come into their heart, that they would do so this very night. If you're here tonight and you've never prayed and asked Jesus into your heart, pray with me right now. Say, dear Jesus, come into my life and save me. Today I make you my Lord and Savior. Please forgive me of my sins. I know that I'm a sinner. Come into my heart and save me. Today I make you my Lord and Savior. I will follow you from this day forward. Changing my ways. I love you, Jesus. I believe in you. You prayed that with me, you got saved. Lord, I thank you for this night. I ask my brothers and sisters to join me in my family, in the core group of this church, my church family, in witnessing this week at our church to our visitors that are coming. May we witness through our hot dogs and our drinks and our chips, through our moonwalk and our mad goat production, through our mechanical bull and our hayride. May we be a living witness. May our attitudes be the best that day, Lord, as we won't want anyone, not one person, 
to die and go to hell. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Somebody give God a praise. Amen. If you're bringing stuff up.